Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited to bring you this show. Our podcast is all about unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed games. Each episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Assassin's Creed universe. From Pieces of Eden, Solar Flares, and the Isu, to the Hidden Ones, the Order of Ancients, and of course, the Animus. We will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as She Cup. I am your co-host here for this show, and I'm joined here by my other co-host. Yeah, I'm Austin or Teacup. Welcome, welcome. I am super excited for today's topic. We are talking about three huge different things, some of which I know a lot of things about, others of which I know nothing about. So it's going to be a really great episode. We're going to be learning a lot along the way. And um, yeah, Austin is here to to lead us through all of that. Yeah, so we've got three topics today. The first of it, the Roaring Twenties, the Spanish Civil War, and briefly, we're going to talk about the founding of Abstergo, all of which are really important things. Now, you might be thinking, oh, we're going to talk about the Roaring Twenties. We're going to go over to America and talk about all, you know, jazz and these parties and all this culture. Nope, that's not what we're going to talk about, because for the Assassin Order... And the Templars, the Roaring Twenties, are centered around Russia. Now, if you're not familiar with world history, Russia is kind of in a unstable state at this point, is how you could put it kindly. And so, if you don't know, so around 1914 is when the world the world war is first one is getting up and going and Russia originally is involved in it, you know, siding with the side of Germany and the rest. Russia has to withdraw from the world war because of its own revolution. So the Bolshevik revolution. And so there's a bunch of like, when you think of like communist Russia, this is the beginning of that. This is the beginning of that kind of ideology and that takeover of what would eventually be established as like the boogeyman of the United States through the 20th century. And so naturally there's a bunch of entities that get founded, if not before this or around them. And one of them is the federal Bureau of investigation or the FBI. And so in 1919, now this is the, the war is over. Like 1919 is the end of the First World War. The American Brotherhood infiltrates the FBI, the Bureau of Investigation. And around this time, the Russian Brotherhood reaches out to the Americans, uh, hoping to locate a deserter, Nikolai Orlov, who we have talked about in relation to Daffs and Spears of Eden. Is he the one, um, the little kid that's depicted in the comics, just like wandering the street without any clothes? 
No, that's um, that's Daniel Cross. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Continue on. Um, Nikolai Orlev is protagonist of Chronicles. Russia. I think. I think so. Uh, I haven't played that game. I'm not as up to date on the Chronicles, but I had a lot of references to the Chronicles in this, so I would assume he is at least in it. Uh, uh, to a named Tolage, he possessed of a vision during the Hunguska explosion. Now, this was an explosion that was caused by Nikola Tesla, Shelby's favorite brand of cars. And no, false, incorrect. My least favorite brand of vehicle. Yes. Uh, which happened when they destroyed a staff of Eden. Now, it's just a brief little overview before we move on. Go listen to our Staves of Eden episode and you'll learn this. But the Tsar, who was the ruler of Russia before the revolution, so the Romanovs, they possessed a staff of Eden. And the Templars and assassins are fighting over it. And then they have this big thing and it explodes and causes a big thing and it's cut into three pieces, which become like the daggers of Eden. Um, that's important. So the American Brotherhood, naturally, as America at this time is kind of moving from its isolationist point to this role of like, for lack of a better term, global superpower. Um, I don't like that term, but that's the term that historians use. Using the position, the Assassin's Brotherhood really becomes like entrenched with this American structure of power, which makes sense. You know, America is founded on this ideal of freedom. They're set up with the help of the Assassin Brotherhood. Like, this is how it happens. Like, Connor is essential in the success of the American Revolution and setting up America as a country. And there are tons of assassins and Templars across the board. And it's this point that the assassins are really infiltrated. They detain Orlov's wife and daughter during the Palmer raids. And so a lot of people like to point to like the 1960s in like McCarthyanism of like are like anti-communist and like fear-mongering and stuff. But it started way, way before then. Uh, part of Hitler's, one of the factors that led to Hitler's rise of power is the European and American powers basically ignoring his rise to power because they viewed him as someone who would keep Russia in check. It was like they kept bouncing between, oh, Hitler is the lesser of two evils between Russia and Germany. And so, but the Palmer raids were an attempt by the United States Department of Justice to arrest and deport radical leftists, especially anarchists from the United States. So again, like, this is not a great period of American history. Though, you know, the more that I think about it, you know, people talk to us that we crap on Europeans. I hear here, I'm going to crap on Americans. I don't think we have a good point in our history. I feel like I'm always saying this is a problematic point in American history. I mean, I mean, we do a lot of problematic things just like straight off the bat. Also, um, just noting for the commenters and the reviewers, Austin's the one saying that this time. So you can give him the shit, not me. Uh, so it's a problematic thing. So they deport, they basically deport his wife and child and the assassins influence this so that they can get to Orlov. 
Uh, so by 1926, the American Brotherhood locates him and the Rus- Russian assassin, uh, Sergei, and try to take him back to Russia. Russia. They try to take them both back to Russia so the Russian Brotherhood can deal with him. And so Orlov kills this Sergei, this assassin, an American and the American assassins working for the Bureau of Investigation under Hoover. Uh, they basically tried again in 1928, and Orlov and his young son managed to kill the team assassins, though the encounter proved fatal for Orlov. So they didn't succeed in doing that because uh, he died in the attempt. After the American Revolution and the French Revolution, the Templars and assassins become really, really obsessed with the Isu, really obsessed with experiencing things, particularly like the spirit of Consus in the in the Shroud of Eden and the uh, just the Koinor as well. And the, a lot of this time is focused around those two things, and so basically Orlov has this vision of Consus, and so that's why they're really after him, is that they want this information about the Isu. Which, you know, there's a great quote, and you could say this. Um, so in Assassin's Creed 3, when Connor goes to Achilles, he's talking about the spirits that gave him a vi- vision. And Achilles goes, these spirits have been bothering the assassins for centuries, ever since Ezio uncorked the bottle. And I just think that Achilles shows a lot of wisdom and like, we should have nothing to do with them. Just take them away, send them away. I mean, I I agree with him, but I also think that that's just such a funny quote. Like, it's also funny to think about like Achilles knowing about Ezio. Like, of course he does, but it's just it's just funny. It's just a funny crossover. Um, okay, so here's my reflection on this section. I am a little disappointed, not because of how you presented the information or anything, just because of the lack of depth. Like, I want to know about flapper assassins like ubisoft give me that in a comic book or a novel and i will buy 20 copies like why coward why are you not giving me that content like that's what i need also like this was such a bit i think there's a like missed opportunity to even talk about like the assassins and their involvement in the suffrage movement and just you know a lot of big history points you could do i think ubisoft is attempting to broaden their horizons because up until this point everything has been so american and western europe centered yes since their first game in um the middle east yeah and so it's all been very centered around that so they're trying to expand to eastern europe and other places like that um, i get that i i agree i want i want prohibition assassins i want flapper assassins you know maybe the speakeasies are assassin dens you know like that would be so cool um i am like putting i do think that would also be a great setting for a game i know that would be the latest game we've ever had but Mm -hmm. being in the 19 teens and 20s like we're a hundred years past that. So like, I, I think it's, it's, it's far enough now, like that, that part of history, like we're so far removed from that, that that would be fine. Um, right. But anyway. And like, we're at to the point, like, yes, there are still people who are alive, who were alive for those points, but like barely, 
barely alive. And like my great grandmother was born in 1912. And so that's what two, three generations from me. And so we're getting to the point of, and you know, with the death of Henry Kissinger, Queen Elizabeth, like mm -hmm. the people of that time are no longer really with us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think in the next 10 years, we could see an Assassin's Creed game in the 1900s for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, let's move on since we finished this topic. Um, are we ready to go to our mid break? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! You weak fool! Get a job! Christina! Who's there? Me! Oh, it's you! I should have known! May I come in? Fine, but only for a minute. A minute is all I need. Indeed. Well, wait, uh, that came out wrong. So the first thing I have to mention is that you should join our Patreon. Um, it is the best way to support us. And you can support us as little financially as $5 a month. Like it's not not a ton of money. Um, and it it really helps us continue putting on the show. We put a lot of labor into this show and it's a great way to support us. Um, and the great thing about Patreon is that you're not just supporting us. You're also getting really awesome benefits like coming on the show, of course, like ad free episodes, like early access to episodes. You get access to episodes if you're a patron on Tuesdays of the week, not Thursdays. So you also get new this year, upcoming in 2024, you'll get merch um, we're going to be sending out some stickers at least twice a year and um, if you subscribe at the ten dollar tier and up you will get those stickers so that's yet another perk you'll get by becoming a patron so definitely hop over there and join us um the next best way to support us if you can't be a patron is to leave us a rating or a review. And I do have an awesome one um, to read out today. This one comes from Mr. R and he commented on the Alexios versus Cassandra episode that we did with Sam in Seven the Legend. And Mr. R said this. Thanks for being an awesome, informative podcast. I'm a big Assassin's Creed fan, but have never done books or comics. So awesome with all of the new lore that I'm learning. Five out of five stars. Thank you so much for leaving us that awesome review. And then the next and last thing that I do have to talk about is my playthrough, um, which is coming quite a lot. <laughs> um, I'm laughing because... I am going to be taking a major break from the game Valhalla because um, I don't know if anybody watched the game awards last week, but um, Baldur's Gate just came to Xbox. And so um, that's becoming my world now. I did, though, finish um, Wrath of the Druids DLC literally the night of the Game Awards, so it was just perfect timing, and I will share some of my thoughts on that one. Um, and so I actually really enjoyed the DLC, like, a lot. There were some things I did not enjoy, like, I didn't really enjoy the last fight with Kira like I didn't I didn't want to have to fight her um but overall like the Ireland setting was beautiful it was um 
really cool to have the like fort um trade thing um i thought the way they did that was really good and intuitive and not like difficult to figure out like it was in black flag um and overall i just really enjoyed it i mean I can't speak enough to how pretty the game is. Um, it is truly gorgeous. And Ireland just like upped it up the stage on that level. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, big questions to answer. Yes, I did romance Kira. Uh, duh. And yeah, that's about it. I'm sure Austin has thoughts. Yeah, um, I enjoyed the Paris DLC more, but I did enjoy the Ireland DLC. Um, but you have to remember, like, I am a one-handed, like, short sword. Like, that is my go-to. Like, in any game that I play, that's what I want to use all the time. And they didn't have them in the base game. And so Siege of Paris is when they added them. Okay. So that was a big thing. Um, but I really like Wrath of the Druids too. It felt so, like, mystical without having to be super isui which i really like and you know i'm all for i love ireland it's a great setting yeah and i think it it does fit in well into the viking narrative because among the vikings in england and you know norway whatever like ireland was such a feared place because they heard about the druids about the celts about this like magical narrative whether or not the magic is real is beyond it doesn't matter um but that people believed that it was real people were afraid of the strength and the power that the irish had and so you really see that in the last kingdom and the utrid mm -hmm. books um but i just thought that the DLC really honored that while still making it feel accurate to the Valhalla specific universe. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, anything else about your playthrough? Um, I think that's it. I will definitely be doing the Paris DLC um, when I'm done with Baldur's Gate or maybe if I need a break, but I'm that's going to be the last thing I do in Valhalla is that DLC. I'm not going to go back and do the other Norse ones. Uh, Shelby will be playing Baldur's Gate until Dragon Age Dreadwolf comes out. I mean, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's <laughs> true. I don't. I really don't. It is possible. I, no, here's what I think is going to happen. I think I'm going to be pretty obsessed with Baldur's Gate for a little bit, for a while, and then I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to probably go back to it or maybe do some other things in between. And then in summer 2024, when they do the full Dreadwolf marketing, I'm going to do a full brand new clean Dragon Age playthrough. So we'll see. All right. All right. Let's get back right. into it. Malaka! 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 Unless the legend is a lie, you are the man I long to meet, renowned master and mentor. It's your auditori, the la la la. Franco. Uh, forgive me. I have a hard time remembering that Italian gibberish. I'll see you all at the selection ceremony, ladies. I especially hope you show up. Let me guess. He's rich. So we're getting into like the 1930s, like mid 1930s. You may not be aware because so much of this time when you learn about it in world history, you have so much to cover that 
this period of time, you only really talk about the rise of Imperial Japan, Soviet Russia, and Nazi Germany. Those are the three big things that you talk about in world history. But there's so much more going on in the world. Like the world war is really only focused in Southeast Asia, Europe, and North Africa. There are whole continents and everything going on. And even parts of Europe that are not really participating in this world war. And one of those is Spain. Now, right before the Second World War, Spain has a civil war. That's why Spain isn't really involved that big in the Second World War because they don't really have a military because they just had a civil war. And so like, there's lots of things going on. And so I just found this sentence really, really funny. Um, And given our general political climate in the United States, I think this statement is funny. But a civil war broke out in Spain between the leftist Republicans and the rightist nationalists. That is pretty funny because it's opposite of what our country is. Right. And so in 1936, several Spanish assassins joined the war on the leftist Republican side. Now, just for our own thing, like Republicans are the left side that is important for this thing. Uh, So Ignacio Cordona supported, and I'm going to really brave here and use my high school level Spanish skills to maybe get this but uh buena ventura duruti so he is a leader on the republican side so this assassins support him and even after his death in 1936 they continue to support him on the 26th of april 1937 a team of assassins were present in the bombing of the town of Guernica. And so, like, they're present in all of this. Uh, in May of 1937, the assassins team joined was joined in Barcelona by a Templar infiltrator, Rufus Grosvenor, who is secretly serving the will of Juno. So again, all the way back to the 1930s, we see the first entrance of these instruments of the first will or Juno's infiltrating the Templar order, which, you know, I talked about that. I took this break to talk about the black cross because they're really going to be important. One of the reason that Berg revitalizes the black cross is because of the infiltration of the instruments of the first will. This is back in one of the, and we're going to talk about in a minute, Albert Bolden is around in this time. And so even this Black Cross is dealing with this as well. So Uh, these are issues that continue to come up, continue to plague both, frankly, the Assassins and the Templars. Right. And I think this comes back to what I was talking about earlier. Both groups are so obsessed with Isu and their artifacts that it's easy to attract those because it's easy for them to come in and infiltrate because all they have to do is like, yeah, I can help you get this Isu artifact. And the Templars and Assassins are like, okay, let's go. Grovner claims to be Norbert Clark sent by the British government as an aide in the British Brotherhood. So as this Spanish Civil War, as this internal fighting continues, members of the team are unable to reach a consensus about who to support. Um, and so it's not really clear where they did, uh, and they have, you guessed it, Black Cross is involved. There's all kinds of things going on. I said in this time that 
they're obsessed with two things, which is the spirit of Consus and the Koinor diamond. Well, they have the Koinor diamond. Uh, so he basically hands it to Ignacio Cordona to like force his assassins to stop. And the latter unwittingly used its powers on his fellow's assassins until he basically has to drop it to prevent further harm. Grovner, he basically is, he stole this diamond from Albert Bolden, the former Black Cross. So remember, one of the Black Cross's roles and tasks is to protect the Koinor diamond. So he steals it from the Black Cross. Now, sometimes people in Assassin's Creed and the Phantom are just not smart. Like, the Black Cross is a trained, is basically a Templar trained as an assassin. And you're going to steal from him? Is this a smart play? Is this a smart play, really? I mean, we all know the answer is no, absolutely not. But my question back to you is, when has anyone in this game series ever been smart? Rarely. Altair in the later years is smart. Very true. But Altair in his younger years? No. Bad decisions. No, I'm trying to think. Bayek. Bayek is smart. We're going to get off topic. But anyway. I'm just uh, saying. So he had been watching this ordeal. Bolden had been watching the assassins because like, are you really going to hide from the Black Cross? No, that seems dumb. So he attacked Grosvenor and he was forced to flee after being attacked by the other assassins. But he takes an unconscious uh, Cardana with him. After persuading basically him to team up. Again, here is another point and like Berger uses Albert Bolden as his inspiration for revitalizing the Black Cross. So again, we see the Black Cross enlisting the help of the assassins to accomplish their goal. Um, so they confront uh, Grosvenor and the other assassins and the other assassins that he had persuaded to Juno's cause. The confrontation eventually came to a head in a rundown church, which we talked about this in our Koinor episode. The assassins basically overpowered uh, Cordana and Bolden, and then Grosvenor tried to unlock the Koinor's power again. And so they destroy the church. They create an illusion of the artifact's destruction. And then Bolden takes it and basically buries it at the church site until it's uncovered later and taken to the Tower of London. But that's really what happens during the Spanish Civil War. And so, again, we get this another thing, like this historic conflict is actually a front between as the assassins and Templars fight over some Isu artifact. I mean, it, it tracks the uh, assassins and Templars tend to make everything into fighting over some Isu artifact. Am I wrong? No, that's pretty much the premise of the entire game. Right, right. And so lastly, just this briefly, I want to talk about the founding of Abstergo, which is a, we don't actually know a lot, but isn't a significant point because Abstergo is the front of the Templars for the rest of the 20th century and the 21st century to present day. So Abstergo Industries was founded in 1937. And I'm going to tell you who these founders were. One of them was uh, Iro Kramer, who we know is the inventor of the die Glock, which is the precursor to the Animus. So, and he is part of the German Nazi regime. Henry Ford, yes, that Henry Ford, founder of Ford Motors. And then 
Ransom Eli Olds, whom the Oldsmobile is named for. Okay, so um, I'm learning things today because, you know, just the fact that, like, the Kramer guy is part of this made me think, like, and I, I knew that the founding of Stargo is associated with Nazism, right, and Nazi journey, Germany. But I was like, was Henry Ford a Nazi? So I Googled that question, and the answer unequivocally is yes, and that Hitler was, quote, impressed by Henry Ford, according to PBS. So I had no clue that that was a thing at all. I'm telling that yeah. to my dad, who just bought a Ford Fusion, by the way. Okay, good. Um, So, yeah, there's an old joke. Uh, it's really bad, but, like, it comes in things, and, like, that old joke is that Henry Ford really created motors as an attempt to, like, run down people over um but he like unequivocally like hated jews hated black people all kinds around henry ford was not a great person sure did he like revolutionize the way factories work sure but he still wasn't a great person so while abstergo eventually grows into this large conglomerate and pharmaceutical company it starts as this basically like shadow company that basically buys other companies uh so this basically makes it so the templars have unlimited financial resources because they can use abstergo and this is what's so insidious about it then they can use abstergo to fund things that people look at and like oh that's such a great thing oh that is such a good thing for society oh here's a life-saving drug but they're secretly using the profits and money on that to fund world domination. There's one company that uh, comes to mind when I think about this. I, Jeff Bezos might have been CEO of it. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but You're biased. You worked for them. I did. So they amassed this wealth and the fuel progress of scientific development by also exerting control over capitalist market through their secret ownership of other companies. So this is the point of like, as the world is shifting, and the world is shifting in the wake of World War II and subsequently to, like, this establishment of a global market. Now, we get that because, you know, like, colonialism really establishes a global market wait, hundreds of years before this. But this is, like, a real establishment of, like, international companies and big big corporations, like what we think of, like starts to come up and Abstergo's at the forefront of this. And so the Templars take a look at this and they basically say there's letters from Henry Ford. There's letters around all of this that are basically like, if we control the economic system, we can control the world. Yeah. And, and it's true. I mean, it just, it is the way the world works. We all have to have money to survive. And so Abstergo quickly becomes engaged in numerous projects, notably the creation of weapons and machines for Nazi Germany in several clandestine, uh, clandestine facilities in Europe. The company would supply Germany with the tools necessary to start the Second World War, after which it would be able to take the leading role in the world's economy. So it is quite literally built upon the death and destruction of the Second World War historical facts there they make the weapons that allow germany to basically through the blitzkrieg invade poland and start the second world war yeah but it's interesting that like we say this but abstergo is an american company 
Yes, they're an inter an international company, but I mean, you know, Kramer is German, but Olds and Ford, like they are. When you look at history, they are titans of the Industrial Revolution. They are titans of American capitalism. They're the ones who drive and fund Abstergo. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's all of this, and kind of in this like early half of the 20th century, 1900s. Yeah, yeah, I think it is really interesting. And this is what I've kind of been reflecting on throughout the rest of this episode. But it's just really interesting to think about history that's not history with the assassins and Templars that's not modern day and that's not really historical as has been pers- uh, portrayed in a game so far. Um, I think that there is this kind of in between period of pretty much like all of the 20th century that really hasn't been explored that much. Like, yes, parts of the eighties and nineties for sure. But the rest of it, um, while we do have some comics and, and book literature, we don't have a ton of information on some of this stuff. So it, it is very interesting to, um, learn about how the assassins and Templars were involved in some of these bigger, but more minor world events. Or, and just like something as simple as found, Founding a company between Templars leads to basically the vehicle that lets them to basically dominate the world. Like, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that you we have to realize is that in the modern day, the assassins are living in a Templar-dominated world. Yeah. So yeah, that's all I've got for this little short thing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the research and leading the conversation. Like I said, this has been an interesting topic. I say that every week, but um, this week is especially rings true. So um, thanks again for doing that research. And thank you all so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at AC Lorecast. If you have any lore questions or topics to unpack, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. Find us on patreon.com slash Assassin's Creed Lorecast. The Assassin's Creed Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode's description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, make sure you give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. And always remember, Assassins, stay in the shadows to serve the light. Do you love Dragon Age? 
Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember, swooping is 